Andrew McLennan here welcoming you to the listening room, which flings open its doors tonight onto the bush landscape. A landscape which has beguiled and bedazzled many adventurers who have sought to find an Eden or to tame one from the wild. Throughout March, we're rambling along a garden path in the listening room, and to be led up and down the garden path is to be led astray. Alternately, the garden path is one that might lead us into the realm of nature and cultivated nature. In the far north of Australia, a mysterious French man with a love of botany made a garden devoted to propagating the plants he loved. This story of the man in his garden is a tale of transplantation, of parched dreams and fertile imaginings. It's a rich and earthy tale, dug up by Gretchen Miller and fashioned into a speculative feature called The Frenchman's Garden, It Beckons the Ear in a Few Minutes' Time. Before then, we find ourselves in an arid landscape with joyous access to water in a short sound work by West Australian composer Kerry Fletcher. Here is Desert Mischief. Right. 
Desert Mischief, featuring Noongar kids at play around a waterhole in the West. The sound engineer was David LeMay and the composer and director, Kerry Fletcher. Traversing the continent in a blinking instant of radio time, we find ourselves in the Gulf country of far northwestern Queensland, where a romantic misfit with a passion for land cultivated a garden of rare and beautiful plants. Over time, this garden of dreams would burn to ash and the gardener would be a ruined man. Fragments of the garden remain, 
a South American sausage tree, a few mangoes, a stand of bamboo by the creek, and the remnants of an irrigation system. Their presence intrigued radio maker and passionate traveller Gretchen Miller on visits she made to the district, which contains the once largest cattle property in Australia, Lawn Hill Station, a strange place to find exotic European plant species. Gretchen recorded sounds from this place and remnant stories about the man who made the garden, a Frenchman, with strange behaviour it seemed and a stranger past. An exotic specimen himself, seeking to put down roots and take hold in a new world. A real man, recollected in oral histories and vividly imagined by his biographer Gretchen Miller in The Frenchman's Garden. on his own. He came through on the mail and I gave him a cup of tea and something to eat and he kept going. Charters Towers, Cemetery 2, Section 49, Grave 1, Thank you for your email to Dr Flather about Albert Name, de Lestang, Albert de which I'm now investigating with the University died, Archivist. 18th November 1959. We will be in touch again shortly. Age 75, Minister Father Smith. The first time I knew he was there, Henry Sterling came out to our camp on Lawn Hills. I was the only kid then. And he um, had two saddlebags filled up with oranges from the Frenchman's garden. You had quite a, uh, good. quite an extensive botanical garden there. And, uh, he was into not only experimenting with trees or uh, bushes of produce value, but also uh, ornamental value and perhaps even some timber types. And he was into hybridisation of various species, etc. So it would have been a big loss to him to have lost his records. One story that kept cropping up from different sources was that he used to fly a flag. And that flag uh, 
flew over his shop. I don't know whether it was the tricolour or what it was, but the, when the flag was flying, it meant that he was down in the grove part working. And come hell or high water, you couldn't sort of encourage him to come up and sell you anything from his shop. That was just a no-no. When you leave, your eyes are drawn behind you and you crane your neck. You are hungry for a last taste. You want to take it inside you, bring it with you. The sun is shifting and you look at each rock. Here it glows bright. There the sun throws minute shadows, darknesses. It is cast out of the light. You look at each pebble and each angle of the range as you fly through too fast. And you start to panic. Because you haven't been down the creek today. You've been planting up on the hill. And there's been no time. And you're fishing for an image to call out to. Goodbye. You are crying out goodbye. But already as you hit the plains, you are forgetting. And all that remains is a fleeting feeling of red and lush, lush green. An unbidden memory of the first time you smelt the water. The warmth. That limey smell that stole up on you when you first descended into the gorge. That first faint smell. A stroke. A nudge. Nothing more. And then you are overcome with the magnitude of the loss. Your whole emotion, connection, evaporating. It is as if you are already dead and the sun has been put out and all that green, that red, has vanished. Without the hall and close upon the gate, a goodly orchard ground was situate of near ten acres, about which was led a lofty quickset. In it flourished high and broad fruit trees that pomegranates bore, sweet figs, pears, olives, and a number more most useful plants did there produce their store, whose fruits the hardest winter could not kill, nor hottest summer wither. There was still fruit in his proper season all the year, Sweet zephyr breathed upon them blasts that were of very tempers. These he made to bear ripe fruits, these blossoms. Pear grew after pear, apple succeeded apple, grape the grape, fig after fig came. Time made never rape of any dainty there. And uh, he, I think he started there about 1930. And he was just uh, getting the place organised. He built all the all the uh, house, which was like a house I'd never seen before. Uh, he got saplings about that big, and uh, you know, from the trees. And he uh, tore all the tea tree bark off the trees, and the roof was tea tree bark wired down. And uh, you could see through the uh, slats because, you know... The, One story the, was that uh, some miners or some ringers in the area, and I haven't sorted out which because the, the 
the story appears from a couple of different places with different characters. We're uh, sort of walking through to Camerwell to pick up their next round of work or whatever. And old Delestang wouldn't sell them any gear because his flag was flying, so they ended up tying him up to one of the trees there on the lawn. And they took what they wanted and then carried on, and the mailman comes through a couple of days later and untied him. But he, he was sort of getting the garden going then, but uh, it was all by hand, and he, he had little wells from the uh, creek, and uh, then he had these, these ditches, you know, irrigation channels that he put in, and he'd bail the water out and let the water run along to the, uh, to the vegetables. And that, well, there, wasn't, there wasn't a lot there when we were there. Another story was that he'd never accept paper money. He liked to hear the jingle of coin and that he used to bury that in four-gallon kerosene tins all around the property. Albert de Lestang, trader, naturalist, prospector and scientific collector of butterflies, botanical and oological specimens. Somewhere. Here, post office, somewhere, Burktown. is dust sweeter than seawater, finer than fish meal, and when the waves and waves of grasses roll, the desert is nothing like the ocean, but traces of hair slip sliding over skin with proper pose and ebb and flowing to the distant palest ranges where something is hidden, a waterless secret that fills each thing, driest rock, sharpest grass, stunted tree and makes it reach towards me and drag me in. He didn't go anywhere. He just stayed at his garden all the time. But when he went out, he went out on the mail truck, um, the one that goes from Bergtown to Camerwell. So he must have went to Camerwell and from there down to Charters Towers. He did end up in the old people's home in Charters Towers and we heard a few months later that he, was, he had died. He would do too. I reckon they should have left him there. I mean, the, even the police shouldn't be allowed to say, look, you've got to go into a home if you don't want to. It's enough to kill anybody, isn't it, when they're old and they've lived out there for a fair part of their life? Well, he was short. He had a, a fairly square face. He had some little growth there. And, uh, well, he had this terrible accent that you could cut with a knife. I think he had brown eyes. I'm not sure about that. And he was short and, and, and thick. Uh, he, after he had his bath at night, he changed into white pants. He had white pants and a, a small checky sort of a shirt. But he used to work in, um, not jeans, but uh, something like, you know, jeans weren't in then, but there was some other drill, navy blue, and he had a flannel on all the time and it had braces to keep his pants up. And he had big boots, you know, those big boots. Tenth of November, 10th November 1945. 1945. 
Dear Mr. Trickett. Dear Mr. Trickett. Your, your letter, letter of 20th September, September airmailed at 7.15 p.m. on that date, came to hand last night, six weeks and one day on the way. At this fast rate of air traveling, I am afraid Lily Tubers would perish on the way. She... Now about that virgin-garbed, beautiful nymph you desire. Is there. Beware of her fascinating beauty. In the trees. I will see what can be done about luring the beauty out of her watery home or robbing her babies. Seeds to be airmailed to you if the fare is within my purse. We'll try to get in touch with the blacks there and get them to collect the seeds if available. Also, we'll inquire from the roving blacks if white lilies are seen in other parts. Here, only the blue Nymphaea gigantea occurs. With kindest regards, Albert Deletin. See, in the very early years, when he was there, there was another garden further over on Louis Creek, a place called the Chinaman's Garden. An old bloke called Sam Arbel. And he, Sam Arbel, had married into Wanyi tribal system. So there was not only a Chinese sort of small community over there, but there was also an Aboriginal camp there and a whitefellas camp on Louis Creek on the same road. But obviously when you read the likes of that white water lily article there, uh, obviously he had rapport with the Aborigines there who were searching out seeds or bulbs of, of that plant for him and probably other things as well. Earth grinds through my veins and through my fingertips. Dust to earth is turned and turned again. When earth cracks open, my heart cracks too. Chambers split, blood dries black, muscle turns to withered leather. So I take care to keep the black soil flowing and my fingertips to the ground. He had good rapport with the blacks. The blacks used to call him Abby. Abby, you know. Then there was a Chinaman that lived six miles away, and we went up there and got a goat and brought it back, and so we had fresh milk. He had goats there for milk, and uh, we had goats too at rivers over there. Everybody seemed to have goats then. Little hills had goats, and everywhere around the countryside had goats. The biggest problem was trying to keep them home. Every time the south wind blows, the gates walk into it.
show me your garden? I'd love to see it. Oh, yes. The man moves slowly. He is heavy set and his face is closed. He is holding a spade by his side, to his chest a small stick of green and a dream. In his head he sees only this, four strong fences to keep the roving cattle out, and on the fifth side a garden spills into the creek. A garden is flowing down a wide, shallow valley. Cool winter sun flicking the grasses. An insect hum. And trees. Thousands of trees, each eternally ripe with fruits, each speaking to him of paradise, each holding Eden in its veins. And the sum total of those trees being God and he knowing all their names, is Adam before the fall. We had a grapefruit tree and it was beautiful, but white ants beat it. So it doesn't take long for the country to take over the land again, not long at all. So you can imagine what happened at the Frenchman's place after he left with nobody looking after it. Unfortunately, I have drawn a blank on all fronts. There are no records in the archive of anyone of that name attending the university at that time. Twenty-fourth March, nineteen thirty-nine. Dear Mr. White, acknowledging the receipt of your letter, January sixth. Just to hand by our first mail since December 30s, over 12 weeks of isolation. Last year you requested that I send you a list of the introduced plants in these gardens. I am taking the liberty of posting it now direct to you in England. I also attach a synopsis of the cultivated plants in the lower produce gardens. In it, I omitted to mention the olives. All attempts to establish them in the alluvial have failed. Remembering the olive groves of Spain and of the south of France, always found on the hillside, I do not wonder at my failure to establish them on river flats here. I trust you are finding your new surroundings pleasant ones and enjoy your stay at the Royal Gardens. I have pleasant recollections of this most beautiful and great of all botanic gardens elsewhere. I spent many happy hours of my school days trying to learn a little of botany. As this is being typed, rains appear to set in, so probably it will be a long time before it reaches you. With best wishes and kind regards, Albert de l'Etang. My words to you, dear monsieur, my words. Read them, and you will smell my world, the sweetest water, earth deep and cool, and seeds in rows on shelves. Wattle seeds, 
which pour like eastern silk through your hands, seeds which rattle like bones in a creek's curve, pendanus fruit. They promise me time, and outside are growing the largest mangoes you ever saw, on trees that would keep you dry in wet season's deluge should you suddenly need to take shelter. I am busy, dear monsieur, from dawn to midday siesta and into dusk. And then at night I write to men like you and try to send you little pieces of my garden. Here is water. Here is water dripping through rock. Here is water taking its time, taking 26 million years. Water dripping over bone, water capricious, leaving its trace, white and salt crisp, smoother than ceramic. And here is water running out of earth, flowing quickly out and through rock, water dancing over cliff edge. Here is water channeled, under control, water drowning in the wet, water tearing up trees and rushing away earth, water which flings the wilderness straight into the garden. Dear Ms. Miller, the Paris Gendarmerie are unable to help you. I have forwarded your request to the Services Historique, Minister Polantiria, Paris. <laughs> the letters that he used to write to Mum, oh gosh, with all these. And he used to write to me in Camerwheel too. He, he typed, he had a funny finger that uh, he got a splinter in it and it went funny, but he, he used to sit there till about 11 or 12 o'clock at night in his little office and, and type. You'd hear him tap, 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 and he'd be writing, I think, all about these plants and things. It wasn't only in Australia that he wrote. He used to write overseas to all these people over there, botanists, and I think he knew quite a lot. But I don't think he, he to me, he didn't have any friends, not a single friend. I remember once... Uh, uh, he wanted me to write to this girl in Canada. And uh, I said, oh, well, what will I say, you know? And he started off, I am a well-developed bush girl. Mum said to me, it's And that was, uh, I can still remember him saying, development, development. Uh, that's it, you see, that's how he sort of mispronounced it. Often he'd, he'd, he'd sort of help you and, and it would be sort of, well, to us it was sexy at that time and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't real, it wasn't the thing that you did then. In fact, there was a guy came through oh, a number of years ago now, maybe, uh, who was the secretary to Mr. C.T. White, the government botanist of the day. And this old gentleman remembers quite vividly uh, corresponding regularly with the West Ham. So there must be more stuff on file 
than just that letter. I had a fiancé. Look, a ring, a love, a rustle of dresses, letter, laughter, pleasure in deception and getting away with it. I don't miss her now. I'm telling you this so you know, so you remember, so you never forget that I was loved. Look, a ring, a love, stay here. This could be yours. Have it, so you remember, so you never forget. But I think he had to get out of France for some reason or other. <laughs> a ring, a love. But he did tell us that uh, he was going to become engaged to a girl there and uh, the police were after him and she hid him in her wardrobe and they couldn't find him. <laughs> uh, that's what I remember as a child, of course, to me it was all, you know, a lovely story. <laughs> In the garden, inside the fence, a short, fat man, sweating, dancing with the termites, digging furiously. Madness is a termite, muttering. Dear sir, here are termites. Oranges, mandarins, lemons, limes, grapefruit, limequat, kamquat, custard apples, granny smith, hybrid pears, all varieties, termites. Japanese plums. Oh, I knew a girl with Japanese plum eyes. Nectarines and Chinese peaches, termites, pecan nuts and almonds. An almond-skinned girl. Figs and passion fruit and termites. That was his, his castle there, his territory. And they wanted it. They didn't want him to be there, the people around. Because they hated him. And he was terrified. He wasn't terrified, but he, he had a thing about the police. He said the police would get him out quick and lively, if they could. Albert has disappeared from French police records. Albert is nowhere to be found. Albert is nervous of men in uniform. Albert has a past and it's locked in a trunk. Albert hid in his fiancée's skirts, which rustled in the cupboard. He fingered them surreptitiously and nearly giggled as the gendarmerie pushed through the door. Albert is on the run, but he's not talking about it. I can remember once that he was very upset Mum and Mavis and I went over the other side of the creek to where the blacks were and we saw down in the creek a skeleton. And we went back and we said we saw a skeleton there, in the creek, in the water, near the blacks' camp. And he was very cross about it. We went back and we could never find the skeleton again. Never. He said, oh, we were mad. He said, no, there was no skeleton there. He said, no, you didn't see it. But, uh, and I can, can still remember Mum feeling all the bones. 
knowing where they were. Oh, yes, I, I remember that as plain as can be, and I thought, oh, that's always puzzled me. Where did that skeleton come from, and where did it go? On the 9th of November of 1998, Dear Madame, the Parisian Prefecture de Police has just given me your letter concerning a certain Albert de Lestang. I must say how deep was my surprise to learn this story. At first glance, it seems to have nothing to do with my family, despite the fact that I could have been honoured to be related to such a brilliant figure, but less in certain aspects of his life. But nothing must be excluded because at those times, the honour of the families was a very important value. I will try to find more clues about this fact in order to help you. Air visits me in my sleep. Soft, wattle scent makes me think of her. But the air now is drier than I remember in 30 years and scorches my heavy, begging lungs and makes my long-gone girls cry for water in their sleep. My trees cry for water too, and an terrible coal, their silver leaves turn brown around the edges and drop without warning, pale and dulled by hot dust. This is air I cannot breathe, this is wind which brings no rain, and so, now, I am writing to you. The words which will take so long to reach you, I must speak of my plants, which are parched and dying, and of my girls who have left, of this air which takes even my words away. There's about a dozen different exotics. Uh, there's, uh, there's not over only African, but there's South American stuff there. There's uh, one growing just beside the shop, or behind the behind our little dining room sort of area there. Nicaraguan cocoa. Uh, further over near the tank stand, there's a one from uh, tropical America, which is uh, the henna bush, the one they take the hair dye from. You've seen the mango trees that are there, of course. He had something like 28 different varieties of mangoes, so I believe. There's certainly, there's 15 trees or so left, and they're all different when they do fruit. And um, there's been two fires through that. There's not much left there in the original garden, really. I think there's a lemon tree. That's all that's left of his fruit trees. And um, he used to graft trees and send them. He sent them all over the world. Eh? I think that that was sort of a home for him, and he wanted to make a settlement. And I really think that he wanted somebody to leave the place to. He wanted, uh, you know, a, an heir to the place because um, I know. Uh, not long after I can do it, not long after I was married, uh, 
in the Sydney Morning Herald, there was a piece, uh, you know, on the bottom of the Herald, I can still see it, about this. He wanted some young people, a young couple, to go and live up there. And I... I well, I think he spoke about that. Dear sir, I had another dream, and in this one my trees were covered with strangling creepers. When I tore them away, the trees were skeletal, and amongst the bones, soft white insects crawled and crept to hide away from the light. The river had dried up, a thick mud sat where cool green water had raised, the ground was barren underfoot blackened and charred, the soil cracked and full of rocks. Eden burned. I tore my hair and shouted for the girls to come, but no one heard me, and no one wanted to come here. I dreamt and struggled to wake and ran outside in a sweat to tear the flag down. Now that's a cassia, cassia siamia. Uh, some of them have gone downstream, but they're not fire tolerant, and occasionally we get fires that'll go right down that creek, so that's what it tends to clean them up and keep them controlled. She is there, in the trees. Moon green thighs flicker in the undergrowth. I thought when I heard of that, I thought somebody's done that to him because it would go up like a matchstick with all this paper bark. You know, those petite tree sheets, they're about like a big sheet of corrugated iron. She has river weed straight hair, the colour of grass snakes under belly, God's eyes. Just imagine how that would burn and those saplings that we had on the side. Everything would just go up like anything. She flickers from my reach. Skin soft, damp moss on the rocks at river's edge. We are laughing. She's sliding through me. It was uh, caused through a young fellow, I believe, uh, burning rubbish over a little mine over near Louis Creek called the Wooden Duck. And I assumed that there'd been a good wet season, that there was a lot of fuel, like perhaps there is this season. And just when I grasp her sleeping sex, blunt fingers claiming blue-green flesh, she slaps me back, knocks me, like floodwaters, choking, flings me into the air. And there may be big winds, sort of free fall. Took the fire away from him and come right across and burnt all, all the deck. Wind hissing, earth spitting. How dare you touch me? Nobody ever got anything there again after he left. He might have came back and burned it himself. His ghost might have came back and burned it. <laughs> and then she is absent, 
trees snapped off at the base, dull metal dust in my mouth. I can see nothing, smell nothing, taste nothing. I lie desperate. I feel such helplessness, such loneliness, such fury that I could strike a match. That's the story I have. Uh, that was from a couple of old blokes who came in to see me there one night. I can't remember their names. But they seemed to know it quite well. They even named the, named the fellow who, uh, who lit the match for the rubbish dump. And I can't remember his name either, but I think I've got it written down there somewhere. 18th September, 18th September 1952. 1952. Dear Mr. Dear Gordon, Mr. Gordon Although a warm welcome awaits you at any time you wish to call, great will be your disappointment, for botanically it exists, but in name. How could the botanic collections be maintained without equipment, labor, and money? And what would be the use of such a collections with all records lost? Within a few weeks of my death, any day now, the place will be a wilderness. The priceless botanic collections of over 2,000 varieties have been abandoned. The gardens overrun by saplings, kunai grass and sword tussocks. What the fire left of the fences is wrecked. Yards gone, home site bare of buildings but the flimsy shack I live in. Plagues of bushrats have invaded the whole locality, destroying all ground crops and playing havoc, worse, killing a number of trees by ring barking. In the wild, all grasses have been rooted out, flowers, fruit and seeds and tender leaves devoured. What still stands of the one-time glorious gardens is the fruit plantation I try to maintain for a living have cut all experimental works, too old and weak to carry on alone, failure to find one to take over from me at death. Since the place is destined to revert to wilderness, better now than later. Your own invitation is greatly appreciated and very much regret not being in the position to accept. I am chained to this spot. Yours, most sincerely. Queensland Archives. Dear Ms. Miller, thank you for your email of the 20th of July requesting research information relating to Albert de Lestang. 
A search of our database, Guide to Record Holdings, located the following records which may be of interest. Personal files for nominated immigrants. Nominator, Mr. A. de Lestang. Date, 1947. Departmental number, 174-1947. C.T. White. ASA location number, A-54013. Lands Department. Could not locate a selection file. Yes, he wanted somebody to work there. A space between tea tree posts. Oh, he was a slave driver. <laughs> a fireplace, a tin pannier, a water tank outside. He he drove us. I know, Mum. Uh, we, we had to water all the plants. Here is water channel. You know, one of those yokes. Uh, she carried two kerosene tins on that yoke. A mother. Trapped by a Frenchman. Poor old mum must have been driven to distraction. Two prepubescent girls, bare feet down a sandy path. And she said to us, she said... Water from the creek. He, he agreed... A mother. That she could go away... A hot sun. And leave us there. See, that was the thing. She'd have to come back. Potatoes and cabbage, a dream of mangoes and a stand of bamboo. But she went on the mail into Mount Isa and uh, she got a job straight away because she was a good cook. Water in the irrigation ditches. She was going there to, to, to get some money and, and to get some money to pay the mailman. A mother. And then straight away the police came and took us away. A plan. So he wouldn't let us go. And a Frenchman. Madness is a termite. Madness is chewing all day and night. A stale taste of sleep saliva. Madness is fire burning. Water washing away my channels. Trees closing in. Creepers grabbing hold, taking root. An unseen fear climbs, dripping from the river bank and shouts out suddenly in the night. Lunatic. A dead cow scorched, bloated and twitching in the water. The girls are gone. And even the blacks avoid me now with my seared bloody eyes, breast panic laden. The charred flag flutters on the floor uselessly. In the end, he was 80, and I don't know, people were getting worried about him or something. I don't think he was really sick, but he was just getting old. And the police ended up coming out and making him move. So he went into the old people's home in Townsville, and in Charters Towers, I mean, and died there. The, the story I have was that he did turn a bit gaga and the coppers came from Camerwell and took him across to Charters Towers to an old people's home where he sort of died a couple of years later. He went on his own, he came through on the mail and I gave him a cup of tea and something to eat and he kept going. He, when he left, he'd abandoned.
25th August 1928. Dear Sir, as my case is rather unique as an applicant for a certificate of naturalization, first being born abroad during my parents' travels, second running away from my relatives as a youngster and being disowned by them, third having travelled continuously in various parts of the world as a hunter, prospector and scientific collector, almost always in localities beyond civilization, and being of a carefree nature and with independent means, Your eyes are drawn behind you. I have kept no records of the date of entry or departure from each of the countries and colonies I travelled in all my years of wandering, prior my coming to Australia. You are fishing for an image to call out to. Goodbye. I have a notion that my name was registered as Albert de l'Etang Perade, but I have always known myself by the name given in the statutory declaration. The last portion of my surname, Perade, I dropped. You are forgetting. And substitute capital D-E for little D-E, thus cutting off the nobility sounding of the name. An unbidden memory. I conscientiously believe that I was born as stated, but I cannot ascertain the fact. I am told that the registration records at Mendoza, where my birth is alleged to have been registered, were destroyed in 1886. That first Faint smell. My mother died at or soon after my birth, being taken by her maid and brought up by her at a nearby Indian village. My mother was either French-born from South American parents or a native of South America. I cannot recollect that I was ever told by my relatives whom I deserted when I was only a youngster. After leaving the Argentine, I prospected or hunted in North America, the West Indies, in various colonies of Africa and the eastern states of Europe. I landed in Sydney unobtrusively and immediately struck for the interior just like I did in all the other countries I wandered, not keeping record of the date of landing. I wish to own the piece of land on which I live at present, nearby the perennial stream known as Lone Hill Creek, Lone Hill Mineral Field, Burketown District, Queensland. Hence my request for naturalization. Trusting that you will not put any obstacle in my way to get naturalized a British subject, I remain, dear sir, yours faithfully, Albert de l'Etang. The Frenchman's Garden by Gretchen Miller A garden almost lost to time and restored by memory and imagination. The speakers were Joyce Wright, Barry Kubala and Maud Forshaw. The performers were Christian Manon as Albert with Rachel Saleh and Gretchen Miller. The music was composed by Gretchen Miller and performed by David Hewitt. The sound engineers were Philip Ullman and David Bates. The program was written and produced by Gretchen Miller.
Your comments on tonight's program are very welcome. You can phone ABC Classic FM or send an email to listening room, that's one word, listening room, at your ABC net AU. Or write to us at ABC Box 9994, GPO Sydney, 2001. Production tonight has been by Diane Dean and Ron Minogue. I'm Andrew McLennan. Next week we continue to meander along the garden path with two programs about specimen collections. One is a collection of animals, a zoo or menagerie in the Jardin des Plantes, the botanical gardens of Paris. The other is an insect collection in a colonial estate in Sydney. Join us in the Garden of Thoughts next Monday evening at 9 on ABC Classic FM.